Hey, Summit Church, this is Kent, and uh, what you're about to listen to is the teaching, the longer teaching section for uh, Summit Downtown. We've been doing digital gatherings on Instagram Live and Facebook Live where we do songs and liturgy and then a short meditation uh, based off of the teaching that you're about to hear that's condensed and then encouraging people to discuss through Zoom or Google Hangouts or, or just with their families or roommates or wh- whatever, but just to kind of discuss and connect more. And then if you want to go deeper into the teaching, then we're providing it through the podcast. Um, And this, because it's now in podcast form and not on a Sunday, and we have no children's volunteers who are, you know, getting tied up like golfers' travels, we can now, I can go deeper and sometimes longer on topics, and this is an example where I do. And so I just have put in natural breaks into this just to kind of give you like a thought of like, if you want to break this up and listen to it in sections over the course of a couple days or a couple listens, that's great. I'm just, I'm just going to put those breaks in and that's just a suggestion to you of like, Hey, if you want to take a little pause here and pick up in a new flow of thought, this is where it happens. If you want to keep going through the whole thing uh, and binge listen, then go ahead and go for that too. So, um, this is, yeah, the way that we are just, you know, getting to experiment a little bit with just longer, uh, maybe more in-depth teaching. There's people who come up and say sometimes, they say, hey, you know, I, I know the kids' workers have to sit there a long time, but, you know, I appreciate your sermons, and I'd listen as long as you talk, and now I am testing you. So, uh, here you go. Here's your test. Everybody, this is Kent, and this is the teaching for May third, twenty twenty, which would be the Sunday. And uh, as you've been hearing, the format that we're doing for our digital gatherings during social distancing is to do an Instagram Live and Facebook Live uh, gathering with music and liturgy, and a shorter five to ten ish minute version of this teaching. But we are making the full teaching available on the podcast. Speaking of which, we have a new podcast feed for Summit Downtown. Uh, we are still releasing these podcasts on the Summit Indie podcast feed, but we're doing it uh, and making it known to you that we've created our own podcast feed. Oh, important note to note before this becomes imminent. There is a lawn mower going outside my window, and so if you hear what sounds like I am being... Oh, there we go. Yeah, like an Apache helicopter is landing on top of me. It's actually lawn care service. So there you go. Thank you, lawn care service. Uh, They do good work. So, not at my house, by the way. This is at my office at Summer Midtown. We do not have lawn care service. (laughs) That would be... uh, I don't know what that would be. That'd be crazy be kind of a bummer mowing my lawn favorite favorite job of mine around the house uh, a tidbit all right uh anyway new podcast feed for soma downtown and uh, yeah it's just in this time where all our congregations are posting more regularly we're all posting our sunday stuff a lot of us are, i think at all at different points have posted midweek stuff so we are making a, a separate feed just to make all of downtown stuff available. So if you, it is called Soma Downtown Podcast, and it is currently available 
on where most fine podcasts are consumed, such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public. We're working on Apple Podcasts. They actually have the most uh, involved process to get it and uh, on there. And maybe by the time you hear this, it will be on Apple Podcasts. But either way, search Summer Downtown or Summer Downtown Podcasts, and you'll have all the episodes that have been released since the beginning of COVID-19 is where we start back that history. So... And please subscribe to that so you could be following, because eventually we won't probably post in the Soma Indie feed. We'll just post in there. So uh, we are in a spiritual formation series and starting it on the spirit, which is an odd topic, as we've addressed every week up until now, because every time we've done a spiritual formation series, it's been about something that you can practically do. And so it's things like fasting and feasting, or it's prayer, or it's engaging in scripture, and the spirit doesn't really seem like something that you do. It doesn't really seem like a verb, but at the same time, it is really a foundational form of a spiritual formation series because all of the, what you do, which is spiritual formation, hence the name of spirit, spiritual formation, is done in the spirit. And without the spirit, you really have no ability to do anything as Jesus is famous for saying in John 15. And uh, without abiding in him through the spirit, you just, you can't do anything. So it doesn't matter how much Bible you read, doesn't matter how much prayer you do, it's, it's pretty much uh, fruitless. Um, puns all galore going on with spirit and fruit and abiding and vines and all this stuff right now. But uh, before we get deep into those, because actually I'm going to teach on that today, uh, we are just, yeah, I want to set up that concept and set up also last week we talked about what is the spirit exactly? How does scripture talk about the spirit? What words does it use? Here comes the Apache helicopter. Uh, what words does it use when we talk about the spirit? And we talk about the spirit being the word for breath and wind and will or mind or intention. And it was this concept of that the spirit is the life force of God that comes from his mouth and creates and renews and refreshes and intends and uh, influences and holds together and appoints to do things. And so everything that is done or is in this world is held together by the Spirit, was created by the Spirit, moves by the Spirit. I mean, it's all through this animating presence. And I said this is almost like pantheism if it weren't for the fact that it's not that the God force, which pantheism says it is all things, it is the trees, it is the rocks. Like we are all part of like this collective God force and the God force and creation are one. Rather, it's you no know, the God force, God himself inserted his spirit into everything. So he's separate from his creation, but yet he's also infused with it and, and moving with it and infusing in a special way with the believer, but even with the non-believer through the image of God, which is imprinted on all of us. And... So we concluded last week by talking about, okay, if there's this idea of the spirit is everywhere and it's in the wind, when you look out and see that animating energy and the trees and running throughout the world and moving, and then it's also your breath. It's like that breath of life that you breathe in. You come into this world not having all of the necessary parts of your humanity. You need this breath of life, which you breathe in, and then you have it and you possess it and you always have it until you breathe it out and release it and it goes into the wind and then you know, flows into the trees and goes back into the, the ruach, which is that word spirit in Hebrew, the ruach, the spirit of God. And so there's this ability to keep in step with the spirit or to walk in the spirit. And this week I want to talk about that. How do we do that? Uh, you know, how do we live and walk in the spirit? I 
was a part of Crew, Campus Crusade, for uh, a number of years with my wife. We were on the staff uh, with Indy Metro's team at Butler IPYU Indy. And we talked about the spirit and crew all the time. It was actually one of the things that crew talks about the most is walking in the spirit. They use that phrase all the time. Like, are you walking the spirit? And is your staff team walking in the spirit? And are you helping students walk in the spirit? And there was always this famous crew chocolate milk metaphor. And if you know, if you've been around crew, you probably heard the chocolate milk metaphor of to be someone who has the spirit in them. All Christians have the spirit in them, but they may not be filled with the Spirit. You might be indwelled with the Spirit, but not filled with the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. And what they mean, or how the metaphor goes, is like if you have a glass of milk and then you put chocolate syrup in the milk, if you just do that, just pour it in, it just immediately goes to the bottom and separates. So you got the chocolate and then you got the milk and they are separate and hanging out in the same glass, but but there's, it's not chocolate milk, it's chocolate and milk. And so that's like being indwelt with the Spirit and all people through the Imago Dei are somewhat indwelt with the Spirit, and then Christians even more so are indwelt with the Spirit, with the Spirit being in them and, and renewing them and sealing them with the promised Holy Spirit that says, God saying, you are mine. But then there's a stirring of the Spirit. There's a keeping in step with the Spirit. And when you stir up the syrup, the syrup and the milk actually infuse together and become something new and something much better, you know, and pretty much everyone's opinion if calories weren't a thing. And it's this better thing, and it's alive, and it's active, and it's moving, and it's the Spirit is now not just indwelling in you, but you're filled with the Spirit. It's, it's moving through you. It's, it's changing you and transforming you into something altogether uh, new and more beautiful, like Nesquik. And so, yeah, that's like this metaphor that gets talked about all the time, but Still, like, that metaphor doesn't really explain how any of that happens. And, and so, yeah, you're just left with this sense of, like, well, just be in rhythm, be in step with the Spirit. And I think the best place to go on this concept of being in step with the Spirit is Paul's famous teaching on the Spirit, which is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm going to read through ch- uh, chapter 6 verse 10, because I actually think the teaching goes all the way through there, though it often gets cut off before that. Obviously, the chapter kind of stands in the way there. All right, so uh, I'm going to read that. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep uh, in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now this is normally where that breaks off of chapter 6, but I actually think this teaching of Paul's keeps going, and now he's going to illustrate. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then let his reason to boast will uh, be in himself, uh, sorry, attest his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with those, uh, with the ones who, uh, who teaches. Um, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. And let, not, uh, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. So, in Galatians five sixteen through chapter 6, 10, it uses that language of keeping in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit. And it actually, I think, gives a lot of advice or a lot of teaching and instruction of how that actually is accomplished, but it mainly happens through its, this main metaphor. And the metaphor that it chooses to use is gardening. And uh, Sharon this year has started gardening in a way that we've never done at our house before. Because it's like just what happens when you start getting deeper into your 30s, you know? Like you just get assigned gardening tools and seeds, and they say, you're of this age now, and you just pretty much do this until you get arthritis and can't anymore. And yeah, so, I mean, we're moving slowly to our mid-30s, you know? I'm, I'm 33 this year, I'll be 34 in June, and you know, that I missed the fact on Easter, this was my Jeester. This was my Jesus Easter. I was 33 which is the age of Jesus as he was crucified, which really makes me feel unaccomplished in ministry when I think about it because, you know, I don't have a single religious group that wants to martyr me. I'm pretty behind. But it doesn't matter. It, this was my Jeester, and I was missing that on Easter, and so I just wanted to recognize that. And yeah, so I mean, Sharon, we're, we're heading into that mid-30s thing, and you just get gardening tools. I mean, we used to kill every plant that we'd ever been given. I mean, ever been given. I mean, if you gave us a plant, I was like, you know, it, you, this, you're condemning this plant to death because I'm, I'm going to kill this thing. It's going to happen. I don't want to kill this thing, but I'm going to kill this thing. But yeah, now we're getting to the point where you just get to the age where you're like, okay, now you, God lifts the veil from your eyes, and, and you, you start gardening and get passionate about it. And... and let me ask this. What I've learned in my little experience in gardening, gardening is, is gardening an active or a passive activity? Well, you could say in one sense, it's active, right? I mean, there's so much to do. There's watering and weeding and hedging and laying beds and pruning and spreading and, of course, planting and then the picking or harvesting or reaping and putting down pesticides or fertilizer, putting up fences, keeping out pests. I mean, there's a whole industry, there's stores, there's magazines devoted to gardening. There is a best lawn award in every small town in America because it is an active thing. You can actively do it. You can actively be good at it. But in the other sense, it's also completely passive. So there's things about gardening 
that are completely essential to it that you have no control over. The first of which is the sun. The sun is necessary for all gardening, sunlight, natural sunlight, and getting a lot of good sun in a place where a garden is. And you can pick a position for the garden to be in your yard that is a bad place or a good place. Like you can pick the north side or the south side. You can, uh, you can pick a place to put the garden more in line where the sun is going to hit. Or you can put it in full sun or half sun, depending on the plants that you're putting on there. I mean, you can kind of do some control there and kind of do some shading. But at the end of the day, you can't really control if you just have a, a less sunny year and that's going to affect the product, that's going to affect the fruit. Rain. Yes, you can irrigate. Most of, I mean, in Indiana, you probably either have sprinklers either in ground or, or you just have one that you can put on the lawn and you have that ability. But what if it doesn't rain? Like in parts of California where it just doesn't rain for most of the year and you get a limit on how much you can water your lawn. So they just all pretty much let their lawns die because they're like, hey, we can either, we can either live or our lawns can live. And then you choose, you choose people over, over lawns, you know, except for sociopaths. So... Yeah, you can do that, but then, you know, you can keep pests and bugs out to an extent, but, like, they're always out there, and you got to sleep, and they sometimes don't sleep the same hours you do. Soil. You can't control, like, the soil with the nutrients that it has. I mean, yes, you can put things in the soil, you can inject it with stuff, but to a certain extent, there's just some soils that, like, they just ain't going to work. Climate. You have to choose what you can even think about growing based off of where you are, based off of how much sun you're going to get, based of what the temperature is going to be. I mean, there's a reason why apples are always Michigan or, or Washington apples. And when we go up to Michigan every year in the summer uh, with my family, we at one point go blueberry picking because they're just up there. And you get some of that stuff down in Indiana. You get some of that stuff, but, you know, you, you don't get it in Florida. You get oranges in Florida. You get citrus fruits. And so climate, you can't control that. You just kind of got to go with whatever you're given. You know, if life gives you lemons or soil to grow lemons... You make Tropicana. And so, yeah, all this is a level of saying that is gardening active or passive? And the answer is yes. Uh-huh. Uh, therefore, taking this uh, metaphor forward, is living in the spirit, is keeping in step with the spirit, is it an active or a passive activity? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, it is. And how does one do it? Well, you do it a lot like you grow fruit or like you garden there's active things there's formation and habit there's environment there's nutrients for growth and, and there's pulling up weeds metaphorically speaking obviously there's putting up fencing and there's watching influences there's studying yourself studying what works having best practices but there's things that are passive there's the fleshly nature in you which is both an active part that you can participate in and also in some ways kind of a more passive thing too that's just that's true there's Spirits. We talk about, hey, that there's God's spirit. Every person has a spirit. You have a spirit, and God can influence your spirit, your mind, your will, your intentions. And there's also a lot of other spirits out there that just are not God and are not people and are not positive. And so they're out there, and they function in a way that you can't really control. Suffering, or just environment and circumstances in general. You can't control if your life is sun or rain, or if you're getting too much sun or too much rain. And so all these things... Ultimately, just like gardening with your soul and with walking in the spirit, with keeping in step with the spirit, it's a lot like that. You can give your soul good stuff. You can protect your soul from dangers. And you can position it to receive that which you have no ability to control whatsoever. And that's 
why Paul says, hey, you want to know what it's like to keep in step and live in the Spirit? It's like producing fruit. And so I want to look at that metaphor uh, with four kind of titles for uh, today. And uh, they're kind of all sermony because they kind of rhyme or go together. Um, and so I want to look at the root. The root is a major part of living in the Spirit, is affecting the root, looking into the root. Uh, the fruit, which obviously is what grows from the root. Uh, and then I want to look at the act of standing and the act of dancing. So root, fruit, stand, dance. That is our time. Let's jump in. Root. Um, there is a natural fruit that just comes from the root of who you are. You see this in Galatians. Galatians, again, starting in 5.16 at the beginning of the passage. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit. Uh, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. By the way, someone downtown, you sorcerers, knock it off. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And all of that is getting at the sense of there is a natural root to where you're at, whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit, that is just going to produce natural fruit, and that's just going to be who you are. One of the cliches that gets at this idea is when you are 60, you get the face that you deserve. You get the smile lines or the frown lines that you have lived out your entire life. Um, C.S. Lewis gets at this in his book, The Great Divorce, which is like an allegory idea of a person entering into heaven. And... Before he enters into heaven, he shows him walking through kind of like hell. And in that book, hell is kind of pictured where you start. And then some people travel to heaven. But those who he sees in hell are people who are just like, they never want to take the bus. There's this bus that goes from hell to heaven. And they never want to get on that bus because they want to be in control of their own fate, their own destiny. And, and they said they just go further and further and further away from the bus stop. And so you see some people that are like, you know, not too far, just sitting like, it's still inside of the bus stop. And they said, you see some people, and he used Napoleon uh, from France, Napoleon Bonaparte. And he said, that guy's just like clear out there. It takes days to travel out to him. And he's just over there reciting again and again. It's this person's fault. No, it's this person's fault. No, it's this person's fault. And blaming all the people. And every time he blames somebody, he walks another step further away. And it's just like this picture of like, Hell is almost not just a, a judgment of God, but just like a natural consequence of what's happening. And some people have talked about the curse that God gives in Genesis 3 when God comes and says, hey, because you ate of this tree, be, he phrases it in a way that says, like, I'm not, like, giving, I, yes, I'm giving judgment, but I'm also just kind of delivering the news. Because you did this, this is naturally what's going to happen. And you get the natural fruit of the root of who you are. You are a product of your sin nature. Sharon and I were talking about this this week. I mean, why do people sin? I mean, in some ways, and why does God hold people accountable for sin? You know, you read the Old Testament, and God's talking about, like, there's going to be people that he just holds accountable for sin and judges them and, and you know, runs them through with the spear. And you're like, well, that, it's tough because we live in a time where, like, every movie is like, well, if you get to know somebody well enough, you'll see that their life is really tough and there's some things you're not considering and they've got circumstances you didn't know about. 
And when you all of a sudden consider their circumstances, you realize that like they're more of just a product of their circumstances. And that's actually really true. I mean, there's, that's a reason why that story plays. It's because you're like, yeah, there's something like, I didn't consider the, all the circumstances that was going on in this person's life who's on death row and the poverty they were facing and the things they had to decide to care for their children or the, the obstacles that stood in their way. Now, they, now their decisions and choices to me make a lot of sense. But there's also this idea that, yeah, you are a product of your ancestry. Like, you didn't have, you, you, were, you started in a situation where you kind of had a leg down. Because your parents, you know, gave, passed on sin to you. And they passed on from their parents of ways that they raised them, ways that they falsely taught them. And, of course, as children, children are uh, good observers but horrible interpreters. So some things they even observe their parents that aren't wrong, they observe as wrong things. Or, they just, or things that their parents do are wrong, they observe as the right way to do things. And so, yeah, you pick stuff up from your parents, who picked it up from their parents, who picked it up from their, their parents, and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, who... We're the one, peop- one group of humanity in the world that had a leg up in this whole thing. And they chose death. And that's a picture not being like, well, they messed up and they, if you would have been there, you wouldn't have. Like the, all of Galatian, or all Genesis 1 through 11 is basically taking you through painstaking efforts to show humanity can have as many chances in the world and they're still going to choose death. We can wash this whole world out with flood and Noah's going to get off the boat and he's going to choose death. You can give everything people need and the Tower of Babel's going to be built and they're going to choose death. Humanity, what God keeps giving graces upon graces upon graces and humanity chooses death. And you do and they did and everyone does. And so yes, there's a level of like we are in some ways a victim to our circumstances. But we're also not morally neutral. We also come to this place where we have personal choice and we exercise it for death. And so fruit comes from that root of, of who we are. And trying to manage the fruit can help. And we'll get there in a second. But ultimately you need to be someone who goes for the root, not the fruit. So you have to get to the core of who you are. And uh, I know we're on a podcast right now, so I am going to visually describe something that I think I'm going to try to find a link to uh, or like maybe take a picture and then put a link to that in the, the episode notes. And so if that's there and you can look in the episode notes right now and see this, great. If not, if I couldn't find that and it's not there right now, um, then just go close your eyes or, or get out a paper and draw what I'm about to describe to you. And so what I'm going to describe to you is a circle. And I'm going to draw it actually as I do it so I can like walk through this with you. I'm on, I got a piece of paper, I got a pen, and I'm drawing a circle right now. Small circle in the middle of the page. Uh, in that circle, I'm just going to label as spirit. That is like a person spirit, your spirit. It could be my spirit, your spirit. And I'm actually going to write the word spirit. I'm just going to make some like wavy, squiggly lines like wind. And so that kind of like says to me that is spirit in that circle. Now I'm going to draw a larger circle around that circle. So I got that spirit circle and it's kind of like in the bubble of this other circle. And then I'm going to divide that circle into three even parts. Uh, so the, um, the lines that divide it are not going to go through the spirit circle on the inside, but they're going to divide that outer circle. And so you got something that kind of looks like a Pokeball, if you know that reference. So you got, uh, yeah, you got your little Pokeball, and you got the spirit, and then in one of those uh, sections on the outside, I'm going to draw a little brain for the mind, which kind of looks like a cloud in my drawing. And I'm going to draw in another one a heart, for the heart, easy. And then uh, in another one, I'm gonna draw like a clenched fist for the will. 
So I got the brain slash cloud, uh, I got the heart, I got the fist, and then in there I got the, the squiggly lines for the spirit. And this is a way to picture yourself, picture your humanity, your whole self. You are uh, spirit, you are mind, you are heart, you are strength. I mean, you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, so, uh, strength. Uh, and your soul, yeah, your soul and strength, there you go. Um, and, or power is another uh, translation that is made in there. So you are these things, these things are, you know, you are many things, you are one, one thing, but you're made up of many different parts, and we talk about that, we use language of our heart and our mind, and that they're in conflict with one another, that makes sense to us. And there is something that we tend to do in our humanity, and that is we, we bifurcate ourselves. Um, we cut down the middle. So I'm going to do a dashed line that is going to go right through the middle of this. It's going to go right through the middle of the spirit circle and it's going to cut off a section so that the heart is the heart is on one side with a little part of the mind, a little part of the will. And then the rest of the mind and the will is on the other side of that that dashed line. And this is like what everyone does. They do this splitting of themselves. And uh, these two sides of you, I, this, I'm going to set this up and then I'm going to explain it all. These two sides of you have names. The side uh, that is the heart, that is mainly just the heart, and again, a little mind, a little will, uh, that part is called the shadow self. So I'm going to write shadow self over there. And then um, the other part that is the rest of the mind and the will is your ideal self. So you have, yeah, split it in half, you get your shadow self, your ideal self. And this is this idea that so many times in our lives, we split ourselves in half like this, and we realize that we don't want to, yes, our deepest desire is to be known and loved, but that's scary. So we take our shadow self, we take our heart, our desires, and, you know, those are bad. Those lead us to things that we can't really control, we get a little nervous about our, our desires, and so we take that, that part and we just kind of cut that off. Uh, it's not control. Can't control your emotions, can't control your heart, you know. Cut that part off. Or at least you can't really do that, but you can at least divide yourself and then keep that part under the ground or, or in the shadow. Again, shadow self. And then your mind and your will, I can think it and I can do it. That's my ideal self. I can present myself as my ideal self. This is every Facebook profile in the world. and Or every Tinder profile or whatever you want. You want. This is the ideal self. I can think and I can do. And so now I just have that. And so you get part of your spirit in both. Uh, you get all your heart in one. And then you get uh, a little mind and will in that side, in the shadow self, but then mainly all of your mind and will and none of your heart is in the ideal self. And so this is a lot of ways to picture how, what the root of you looks like. I mean, the root of you is that spirit in the center of you. And just a way that you can conceptualize how you change, how people actually um, transform. I mean, we're, that's deeply what we want, right? We don't want to just learn more information. We want transformation, right? And information does not equal transformation. I, I, I pound on this all the time that we are the most teaching accessible. We have a glut of teaching and sermons and books on spiritual formation and all these things in our world today, but the most transformed generation we are not because we have a whole host of evidence that says just teaching people, just doing Sunday teaching, just listening to this podcast is a part of that process, but it's just a part. And so you have to do the entire process of engaging teaching, which is the mind, um, engaging the heart, which is experience, 
engaging the uh, spirit, which is where you integrate it, and then engaging the will. Um, but again, back to my drawing, I got this uh, thing bifurcated, right? And so I got the ideal self and the shadow self. How you really function now when you just function around teaching or you could also say it's like just going for the root, or sorry, just going for the fruit of your life, just trying to, to um, you know, get a nice Facebook profile, but in the, at the end of the day, your heart is still twisted and dark. This is how life works. You get information that enters in. I'm just going to take a line. I'm going to draw from outside that circle into the mind, and you get information in your mind, and it can touch your soul a little bit. It can inspire you, you know, because you got a little bit of your soul. It can't touch your whole soul. It doesn't go to your heart um, and goes just straight to your will. And really, I wouldn't even say it spends too much time in the soul. It's pretty much just like mind, will. I learn it, I do it. I learn it, I do it. I learn it, I do it. I do it until I get tired. And then I have to learn more. I got to get more information and, and that might transfer me and probably won't. Um, it'll do it for a little bit of time, but you know, just until I get tired again. The way that you actually grow, the way that you actually change is, again, that same place, that same point, like let's say teaching enters the mind this time, so it goes into the mind, but instead of going straight to the will, you haven't bifurcated yourself, or maybe you've learned to kind of like that other site, which is your emotions. You drop, it drops down into your heart, so I'm going to go from the mind to the heart space. In your heart, that's where you experience it. You don't just learn about it, you actually experience it. You have experiential knowledge of it. I mean, we talk all about this, that the concept of to know something and to know someone. You know, the biblical word for know is what produces children. And there's like a deep experiential knowledge that comes from experiencing something. You know, like it's one thing to, um, you know, hear a lot about Mount Rainier. It's another thing to stand at the foot of Mount Rainier or to stand at the top of Mount Rainier. You experientially know that completely differently. And you, forever your knowledge is filled in by experience. So you have information that goes in the mind. It then goes in the heart. Therefore, you experience it. You begin to attach to it. Uh, that information then starts to work in you. Then it goes into your soul, that middle circle. Uh, and it just kicks around there forever. Now I'm just drawing a bunch of squiggly lines, making it look like spaghetti all up in there. Because it just kicks around in your soul because that's where you kind of like integrate it. You like connect it to your mind, your experience, your thoughts, to your emotions, to your whole person. And as it fills your spirit, it comes out through your will and you can actually do things. Not because you learned it and you can just do it and you got to keep putting in more information and more inspiration um, to get more perspiration or work, but actually because you've been transformed by it. You've thought and learned it you've experienced it, you've integrated it into your soul, and now you can enact it as just a part of the will of who you are. This is Galatians 5, of doing the work, not to just get information to put in your mind so that you can kick it over your will, so that you can yeah, know it and do it and grow exhausted from it, but it's to know it, to experience it, to integrate it into your whole being, through your soul. It moves around like the breath that fills every part of you and then comes out through your will. Not by you gritting it out, though sometimes it feels like that, but it's because it's, it's just naturally who you are. The works of the flesh are evident and they just come out of you. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. They just come out of your will because they're integrated in your spirit because you've experienced them in your heart after you learn them through your mind.
And so the way to get at the root in this little drawing I've got here is you have to experience transformation through all parts of you. And this is Ephesians 3. Uh, I, I preached on this in the fall where Ephesians 3 talks about, uh, you know, it's the end of Ephesians 3 and like what, I think it's verse 14 through 21 where Paul starts saying like, you know, hey, I want you to know the love of God. I want you to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth and to understand the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. And that that becomes this transforming love. I mean, that is when you know the love of God. Again, that this, you have the information. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I know the gospel. I know that I'm not loved because I am good or because I finally figured it out. But while I was still an enemy, Christ died for me and he, he loves me even at my worst self. And it doesn't like he's just waiting for the future of me to get it together. He loves me now. And so I know that, but then like you've had that experience where you experience in your heart and you actually experience God's love. I mean, this is the moment of like, you realize how much you don't deserve God's love, but yet he loves you. This is the time where you go to a conference and you hear a talk on the love of God and it breaks you. And, or, or maybe even, I mean, that's still mind, actually. I mean, most people think of that as, as heart, but actually, that's still your mind. Here's the real example of this. You get married to somebody, and after four years, your I give a crap about what you think muscle gives out. And now that muscle's gone. And the flesh that's in you is just fully unleashed on that person and them on you. And then someone in that marriage or both people through the spirit, through teaching of a friend or, or through something, someone comes to them and says, hey, how about you give that person grace? How about you accept them for who they are? Not because they deserve it, but because you love them. And so then while the one spouse is still railing against the other, or maybe, again, they somehow come and do this at the same time. Either way, one or both of them move towards, moves towards the other in grace, absorbs the attacks, absorbs the lashing out, and then continues to move towards them in grace and continues to show, I love you and accept you for who you are. I've been hitting this fact over and over and over again. Fundamentally, the most, one of the most basic core truths of humanity is that we believe nobody loves us. Nobody really loves us. I mean, they love the ideal self that we cut off and we show on Facebook. But if people saw the shadow self, what's in the heart, the stuff that we can't control, the stuff if you just like knew all the things that passed through my mind on a given week, you would desert me too. Because everyone deserts me eventually. And if you can prove to that person that I love you, and I'm not just saying that to touch your mind, but I'm actually moving towards you in grace, even in you spit in my face, that's experiential love. And that, holy cow, that, when you realize how, how horrible you are, but yet this person has decided to love you, and that God's love for you functions like a billion times that. I mean, that is more than just sitting in a conference and being broken by a talk. Like, that is sitting and crying with someone as they hold you, and you're realizing you don't deserve it, but yet that's what makes it all the more beautiful, that you're fully vulnerable and fully loved. And then you take that love and you integrate it into your spirit. You starts to integrate in your whole body. I mean, you start, to, not yet your body, your heart, your mind, everything. It starts to integrate like that love just starts to come out of you. And then your will starts to move forward. And the most 
fundamental thing that people want is to be vulnerable and be accepted. And so this is the idea of getting to the root. And Paul says, hey, the fruit of the flesh just comes out of you. Because you split yourself, you got your ideal self, but the shadow, the, there's a saying that we have, uh, or I've said several times over the years at Soma, the soul gets out eventually. Or maybe the better way in this analogy is to say the shadow self gets out eventually. It's just eventually you get tired, you get weak, you have suffering, and you just can't hold it back anymore. You're done. And that just gets out. And you just expect everyone to, to curse you and leave because that's what people are going to do. But then when somebody comes near you, says, hey, I love you, and I'm not just loving you in a way that I'm giving you that information, I'm showing you by moving towards you and absorbing the hurt that you're giving out towards me, then when you integrate that in your soul and your will is moved, that's transformation. That is living in the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit. Um, a quick word on just the role of suffering. In John 15, which is another great passage to go to when talking about keeping in step or living in the spirit, which is Jesus' uh, whole teaching on you know, abiding in the vine, you know, like that you can't do anything except for me. So, you know, like, you know, abide in me, the true vine. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Uh, you know, he cuts whoever's in me who does not produce fruit. He takes away and cuts away. But whoever um, does produce fruit, he prunes that they may produce more fruit. And it's that image of a vine dresser, a gardener pruning away. Because I found this out when I've studied for that passage before. If you just let grapevines grow, they can grow really big, but they stop producing grapes. Eventually, they get so big that, like, I don't know if it's just the root system can't get out to the branches anymore and can't fill it, so they just stop producing grapes. And so they'll grow huge, but, and you think, like, oh, awesome, huge vine, lots of grapes. And it's actually the opposite. Huge vine, no grapes at all. You've got to cut it, prune it down. Even the parts that produce grapes, you have to cut them back or they will stop producing grapes. And, of course, that is a picture of suffering. Almost all change, transformation in your life and mine happens through suffering. We want, it, we want it to come through TED Talks. Gosh, we would love it to do that. But how many TED Talks have you gotten at this point and it just didn't work? How many podcasts have you listened to? If you listen to this one, it's not going to change you. Now, if you're suffering, it might have that part where it resonates in your soul and you're like, yeah, I, I get that. Because, yeah, need, necessity is the mother of all invention and change. And you will only change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. Because you won't move towards the pain of changing. You won't do that on purpose. But once you're like, oh, the pain of staying the same through suffering has become worse, now I will change. There's a, a meme that Sharon showed me recently, um, which, you know, it's done in a really trendy meme way, which makes it a little gross because it's such a beautiful quote and, you know, Pinterest worthy, which, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's just not my, just not my flavor. Either way, uh, it's, it's got like a mountain on it, you know, and it says like, whenever I see someone, like whenever I see like a puce, uh, I'm going to totally mess this up or totally, you know, uh, get this wrong. But it's like, whenever I see a beautiful person, whenever I see like a good, wise, beautiful person, I want to know how they've suffered in life because you don't get mountains without earthquakes. Oh, that was it. It was whenever I see a strong person. That was it. Oh, butchered it. Let's go back in time. 
Whenever I see a strong person, I want to know what suffering they've been through. Because you don't get mountains without earthquakes. That would have been cool if I could have done that right the first time. Oh, well, either way, uh, that's true, right? I mean, that's just fundamentally true. If you show me a person who's strong in this world, show me somebody who you would respect and admire, and I will show you years of suffering that they went through. Years of pruning. Because you just let it keep growing and it stops producing fruit. It becomes dead. Yeah, it's got all the appearance of being alive, but it's dead. You prune it back, you cut it, and it brings life. There's a, a book, I don't know who the author is, but it talks about like the four main movements of love in a person's life. Everyone starts with love of self. That's the first one. These are not like the four loves of C.S. Lewis's four loves. That's a great book in itself, but it's a different book. He talks about like there's four movements of love. You start with love of self. Everyone starts there. You love yourself and you do everything because you love yourself. Some people through intersecting through the gospel and belief and faith will understand love of God. But the first one is love of God for self. I love God because he makes me feel good. I love God because I like the way he, I, I just feel when it makes me worship. He, he forgives me for my sin. He makes me feel at peace. He takes away my pain. He takes away my guilt. He takes away my shame. And that makes me feel good. So I love God. And that's not a bad reason to love God. That's just not a mature reason to love God. Because eventually you are going to go through suffering. And loving God is not going to feel good anymore. Just not going to feel good. Just doesn't. Yeah. And you are then presented with a position to love God, not because it makes you feel good, but to love God for other people. And so I love God because I channel that love of God and I love others. And I realize I'm filled with love of God. He loves me even in the bad times. And even that's enough for me. And I can actually be filled up to love other people. But eventually you're going to suffer by people just not loving you back or deserting you or abandoning you or, or spitting in your face when you love them. And eventually through that suffering, again, not everyone gets here, but there's a move from love of God for self to love of God for others. Like, you know, I have the love to serve other people, but then eventually when they spit in my face, it's just a love of God for God. Of, it's not fun to follow you right now. Nobody is, <laughs> the known have gone with me, yet I will follow because you alone have the words of life. And I love you for you. I don't love you for what you do for me. I don't love you for who loves me with you. I'm just compelled by you. And that comes through suffering. So that is the root. Um, now, jumping over to the fruit. Um... Galatians 5, 25 through 6, verse 10. Read with me. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envying one another. So listen to this. Like, it's going to say, like, you know, don't do that stuff with the flesh. And then it's going to start bringing out all the this, this fruits of the Spirit, just in kind of illustrative ways. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with the spirit of gentleness. By the way, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So now we're illustrating a spirit of gentleness when you restore someone. Um, keep watch on yourself, lest you be uh, to be tempted. Self-control. Bear one another's burdens. Patience or forbearance. Uh, you hear that in the word forbearance, which is the more accurate, I think, translation. Bear forbearance. Uh, one another's burdens. And so fulfilling the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, 
This is, of course, uh, having uh, that level of humility, that, uh, uh, that goodness and that self-control and that kindness. Uh, whenever anyone thinks he uh, is nothing, or something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and uh, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. So, of course, that's, by the way, like this sense of generosity, kindness, giving. Uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from that f- the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, after focusing on the root, not focusing on the, the fruit, the behaviors, the, uh, the out there, I mean, that's where most people start, right? If like, oh man, I gotta live by the Spirit, so I gotta start reading my Bible, I gotta pray more, I gotta swear less, I gotta be less angry, I gotta be less lustful, I gotta be less greedy, I gotta be more generous, I gotta, and it's all fruit. And, and the first place is you have to start with the root, what we just talked about. But then there is a place to then position yourself like a gardener to garden the fruit, to work at the top. I mean, when you garden, you don't get down on the roots. You plant the roots and then you let the soil do what it does. You let the sun, you let the water, you do like, you, you tend to it. But at the end of the day, you're dealing most with the fruit at that point. And this is the idea of spiritual formation or habit. My trouble with the gospel-centered movement, which I love the gospel-centered movement, this idea that we need to, people to know the gospel, not that they love Jesus or that Jesus loves them because they're good people, but they love Jesus. Jesus loves them even when they're horrible people. And that is actually what transforms people. Because again, you don't transform someone's you know, mind, heart, spirit, and will without that truth. But my problem with the gospel movement is they want to say that you never, you just there's no ever growth. There's no sanctification. Um, you know, and that just doesn't really make sense. I mean, uh, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay as you are. I mean, even in John 15, if you read that passage, again, that's Jesus abiding the vine. He says, hey, uh, if you, as the fathers love me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and abide in his love. And we always hear, hear that part as Americans and the gospel-centered movement, and like, obey commands, and then he loves you? Like, is this like, you know, he, you obey, and then he loves? That's not the gospel. That's the anti-gospel. But it's, not, it's just like the sense of like, no, like, there's this both and element to it. It's, yes, God loves me for who I am, but then out of response to that, it moves my will, and as I move my will, I find myself moving in the spirit, being caught up and keeping in step with the spirit. Again, that spirit that's moving and animating everything in life and intending my spirit and appointing me to do it. It's like when I step into the flow of it, I'm actually brought alive by that. And that happens both by taking care of the root, focusing on the root of your heart, but then also looking into the spiritual formation, looking into the fruit. And so we know that habit, we've learned a lot about habit. In habit... Um, it forms you on an iambic level. Uh, sorry, not iamb- iambic level, iambic pentameter. Um, a limbic level. There we go. That's the word. I'm not doing Shakespeare right now. I'm doing uh, physiology, um, anatomy. A limbic level, like your limbic like brain level habits, like something you do for 30 days or stop doing or whatever, or replace doing, can like 
change your brain chemistry. Um, habit formation is all about developing your will. Uh, our children go to the Oaks Academy where they are all about, it's a classical education and they're all about habit formation. And so they uh, just do habit formation more than they do anything else. And they gave a really beautiful, helpful uh, analogy one time where they were talking about habit formation. They're talking about we're, what we're trying to do is, is form your child's will. We're trying to understand they're made in the image of God. Um, they uh, are empowered through his spirit to do his will. They ought to do his will, and therefore they will to do it. Um, and they said, when you think about will, we often talk about the strong-willed child, which, um, you know, there's the book, you know, The Strong-Willed Child, which <laughs> I saw a Twitter, uh, like, retitling of that one time, which is like, so you got a little twerp. And yeah, that's basically what your strong-willed child is about, because it's about these kids that just, like, you know, jump up on the counter with their pants off at, you know, the sushi restaurant downtown and go crazy, and you're just like, oh, he's such a strong-willed child, we can't control him. And they said, no, actually, that's a weak-willed child, because that child is controlled by their will, or their will can't control themselves. A strong-willed child is one who can master their will, who can say, no, I want this, but I'm not going to run after it right now because it's not going to be best. It's not going to be wise. And so you develop a strong-willed child who's able, their will is able to direct them and guide them, not just, you know, they can be a river, not a flood, you know, right? A flood uh, has no banks and it just flows everywhere and it's destructive. But a river is the same concept. It's just channeled in one direction and it can do really powerful things. And so the idea of going after habit is the compound interest theory in Galatians. Like that concept of, of not giving up because what you sow, I mean, again, we're going into gardening, planting metaphors. What you put in the ground, you have to tend, you have to water, but whatever you, you, you can't, you don't just put in a full-grown tree into your yard. You have to put in a little baby tree or a seed or a seedling or something, and you got to let it grow, and you might get shade from that thing by, by the time you move. Uh, or die or something like that. But it takes this time of putting in a little by little and all of a sudden it starts to uh, speed up. Again, I said the compound interest theory because it's like the concept of compound interest. If you invest, they tell you, hey, start investing just a little bit in your 20s. Just a little bit. Just tuck a little bit away. doesn't matter how much it is. Put something away in your 20s. Because it's better to have put like $200 a month away in your 20s than putting... 2000 or even $20,000 a month uh, putting that away in your sa- uh, for savings in your 50s and 60s because there's this level of you just put twenty or $200 here, $200 there, $200 here, and over time, you know, the 20s, you don't really get anything out of that. 30s, no, nothing. You get, you know, just the tuppence is coming off of that. You know, you can pay some library loans if you want to cash out then. 40s, oh, wait a second. Now we're starting to get a little bit of traction. 50s, Whoa, passive income, baby. In 60s, you're just like, you know, your interest is just going crazy because it compounds over time. But if you start in your 60s and just, or 50s and just throw $20,000 in there every month, it's just not going to catch up because that's not how compound interest works. And that's how habit works. You can fill yourself in the spirit uh, and do things that are wise. And, and yes, in the short run, they might have no real sense of this is wise. In fact, it might hurt. But it's doing hard things now for a life of being filled with the Spirit later. Or you can just 
take a bunch of easy outs now and then die by a thousand little cuts later. It's about playing the long game. Um, and so this is why we do the spiritual formation series. This is why we've been talking about like, hey, how do you function on, you know, look into like this idea of, of prayer or fasting and, and feasting. How do you put these things in your life that are not, f- maybe not overly fun at first, but with time and tending and planting, they produce compound interest that produces joy and peace and patience and all that we want but you just don't get right away. And it's a lot easier to flip on Netflix and get a little bit of joy that has diminishing returns. So there's a wisdom in thinking through your formation and thinking through what am I doing now to form the life that I will most certainly deserve later and uh, the person that I want to be then is being formed by these little micro-choices the little everyday choices I'm making now. Like that's that whole, that verse in Thessalonians where it's like, you know, like uh, here's the will, the Lord's will for your life. You know, be jo- uh, rejoice always, uh, you know, be constant in prayer. Uh, you know, always be grateful and thankful. And, and, and it's this idea that like people always want to say like, what's the will of God for my life? What little decisions do I make every day or every year or every decade? And it's funny that like God says, hey, you want to know the will for my life? Don't worry about those 1% of decisions you make in your life. Worry about the 99% of little decisions you make every day of like prayerfully turning your heart in joy towards God. Now, that's not true during times of suffering. Um, that's where you just need to actually turn your heart towards honest frustration with God and, and he can handle it. Um, and you don't need to go to the just thankfulness and be grateful stuff. Uh, that's not helpful. But... Um, in the times where you're just, yeah, make, you're just neutral, you're making those decisions. To like, am I forming myself in the will of God by, um, yeah, reading scripture and letting that form my mind uh, as much or more than my media? <laughs> am I grabbing my phone first thing or last thing, uh, you know, away you can sleep? The first thing or last thing you do literally is like it, it gets deeper into your brain chemistry. That's why the first thing you think about in the morning, the last thing you think about at night, the first thing you do in the morning, the last thing you do at night matters. And so that's why I wake up and I've just been trying. The first thing I do is just to go through John 15. Just go through that chapter in my head and let that form deep into me. Um, yeah, does Sabbath, taking a time and, a, and break, does that form you? Does that shape you? Um, yes, I know you're, you're busy right now and there'll be some time in the future that never comes that you will eventually start a Sabbath. And when that does come, you're going to wish you would have started that compound interest a little bit early. So come back from the future to the present right now and start and do things that are wise. Now in all of this, I'm not trying to layer on you just an impossible standard to do. I was talking with a friend today, um, and we were talking about how like, you know, the, has anyone ever done like a time study of like all the spiritual formation things you could do? Like even if you took my sermons over the past five years and took every application point I said to do for your life, I'm not doing all of it. Um, and you're not doing all of it. And if you're trying to do all of it, you're going insane because it's crazy. I mean, like I give you all these points one week and the next week. I mean, I try, we try to be repetitive and come back to Sabbath and silence and solitude and prayer and scripture and fasting and feasting. And like, you know, go to these series that we've already done, uh, you know, justice, you know, come back to them again and again and be repetitive because there is a repetition and, and, in learning and, and growing, uh, and letting it spin around in your soul and integrate in your whole body. I mean, for as much as we want novel things, um, you know, we want to find just more and more novel ideas. We want to watch more TED Talks and listen to more pet podcasts. At the end of the day, we really, 
it's not that we need to learn new things and apply them. We need to apply the things we already know and hear them over and over and over again until we do. And so I, I try to do that with my application. I try to be repetitive, but like, even if you, even with that, you could hear all them saying, and I was, I was talked with another person who was saying like, in the midst of COVID-19, I'm struggling because it's like, I should be reading my Bible more. I should be praying more. And I've been trying not to like communicate to you through these teachings of like, hey, it's social distancing. And if you're, if you're single and didn't have, don't have kids, then you should be using your time to not, you know, finish the whole category of, or the whole library of Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus. But you should take that time to form yourself spiritually, which there's truth to that. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, if that is, you know, if you truly have like all this excess time and you're finding that you're just getting bored with continually clicking on more and more uh, stimulation and entertainment, then yeah, like there is some truth to like forming yourself. But we're also in the midst of social distancing and a plague. Like this is the most collective stressful experience that this generation has faced. And in stress, you don't get more productive. You actually get less. And so... While, yes, you have more time and there's part of you who's like, man, I shouldn't just be getting through a read through the Bible plan. I should be getting through the Bible four years or four times this year. And uh, <laughs> once in four years, that's closer to my speed. Um, but not even, that's blazing. Um, either way, uh, yeah, you know, like the, I should be going through four times this year. I should be doing, reading the Bible in a quarter because I got all this time. I should be praying uh, and, you know, bringing down the power of Jehovah Rapha over the whole world and killing the coronavirus single-handedly. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but like, there's also a level of like with the stress, we just need some time to be washed by scripture and to be in prayer, but also just to to sit and to process and to go on a walk and to just listen to music or a podcast and just zone out and escape. Escape is not intrinsically wrong. Um, vacation is escape. You know, sleep is escape. <laughs> Escape is not intrinsically wrong. It's not wrong to sit down and watch Netflix. It's not wrong to watch an entire series. That's good and beautiful. Escape is not wrong. It's just addictive. And so you got to be careful because sometimes you can try to escape when you need to be present. You can be escaping your whole life away. Um, and so that's where, you know, escape becomes wrong. Uh, or not wrong, just dangerous. And so watch escape, but don't don't avoid it like the plague. Uh, no pun intended. Um... And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my thought on spiritual formation habit. I mean, in this time, you're going to do different things, different spiritual formation practices. Don't do all of them all the time. You know, find a few of them and, and put them into your life. And, and then if you're going to maybe start a new one, maybe you need to stop another one. You know, maybe you need to not do every spiritual formation practice that we've ever done at every day of your life to check off the box every time because that's actually not going to help. Uh, these are all just tools to get at knowing Jesus and forming yourself into his image. And so what's helping in one season, then go for it. And maybe if you're like, you know something like it's challenging, but it's a good kind of challenge. It's like lifting a little bit more weight at the gym to get a little bit stronger Then go for that challenge, you know, go towards the pain. Uh, and then also go towards the joy, like how you're naturally wired and gifted. And then in another season, when you're suffering versus when you were up or when you're up versus when you were down or when you're tired versus when you had energy or vice versa, you might find other formative habits draw you closer to the, the place of Jesus and other places where you like either sustain strength or grow strength. And so you might have to change from, from season to season and you might need to evaluate. It's much more dynamic. It's much less wooden. Here's the rules. Do those all the time. I, I continue to come back to that metaphor of the dance 
steps, like to learn to dance, and you put little black feet on the floor and the little footprints, and you just step on the black footprints, and you go from one to one to one. You can do that and know all the ways to move in the tango, but it's not actually dancing. Dancing is when you take those away and can just move to the music with a partner and improvise and go. And that's what it is to be informing yourself. So that is root, uh, that is fruit. Um, and then these last two, I think are gonna go quicker. We'll talk about standing and dancing. I already talked a little bit about dancing, now we're gonna talk about it more. Uh, but not before we talk about standing. Uh, Galatians 6, seven through 10 again. I read this already, but I'm gonna read it again. Galatians seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for what, uh, whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That let's keep going and not give up is also, again, John 15, the abide in the vine. Abide, remain in me. You can do nothing outside of me. Anything you try to do outside of me, if you try to get outside of me, you're gonna be like a branch thrown away and gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my word abides in you, then ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. I mean, abide, just don't move on from just being in my presence and being with me. Uh, again, I already said like podcasts and documentaries and this endless search for more and more content and series and movies and books is just this constant search for novelty. And I learned something actually in one of my theater classes in college when I studied stage movement uh, in theater. And it was stage movement. It was obviously all about like, you know, using movement and physicality on stage. And, and you know, a lot of it was like borderline into some modernistic dance uh methods and and but yeah it's all about like physicality and using physicality and we had one class that was all about stillness and we were learning about the power of stillness and for like 20 minutes in the class she just said be still and just stand still or then she said lie down try to lie down still and after that class we all were exhausted because she said it actually takes more energy to try to completely keep your body still than to be moving all the time, which is why some people just you know, bounce their legs or go for a walk and it can be relaxing because it's actually easier to move in a purposeful way than just to try to be still because being still is exhausting because the world is moving us. I mean, even if you just like sit there and like put your hand flat on a table, you think it's still, but if you zoom in close enough, you're gonna see it's actually jumping all over the place through breath, through your pulse, through all these things. It's moving like crazy. It's impossible almost to be completely still. And, and again, this goes back to the idea of you don't need to learn new things. You don't need to have fresh teaching to inspire you to do, uh, to be in Jesus' presence. You need to apply the things you've already learned. I mean, if you just applied everything we've already taught at Soma, just slowly but surely, you never listen to another thing and just apply the spiritual formation practices we've done already, you would grow powerfully into the person of Jesus. And we keep giving you new ones partially because like, yeah, there is a progressive nature to this and we want you to continue like think through this and think through this. But, but sometimes you might just need to be like, man, I haven't moved on from Sabbath, silence and solitude. The first series, I haven't moved on from that yet. I haven't moved on from the prayer series. I'm still in that. I still need to be there. I still need to be in fasting and feasting. I mean, all these are online. You can go find them um, on the old podcast. Um, some of them now will be on the new. 
And so that is standing, abiding. And then lastly, dancing. Um, we cannot control the Spirit. We can't control the Spirit, just like we cannot control so many elements of gardening, and we can't control our own growth. Um, and we have a level of influence. You can influence yourself. You can put wise truth into you. You can surround yourself with wise people, but there's a level of just the spirit that the spirit has to uh, bring you a lot to life. Like in a light, uh, like in Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees, uh, the spirit bring dead bones to life. And, and God asks, can, can these bones come alive? And he's like, yeah, you know, you know that they can. And he brings them to life because the spirit blows on them and brings dead things back to life. And at the end of the day, we are dead people in our sin and in our brokenness. And, and there's parts of us, even after becoming a Christian, even becoming filled with the Spirit, that we can't control how the Spirit slowly or quickly or painfully or through suffering is going to move through us and help us walk in the Spirit and, and learn to hear His voice. You can't speed that up. you got to learn yourself, have discernment, and you can't speed up the compound interest process. You have to start slow and let it build. And that's John 3, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, what, what must I do to be born again? And he's like, you gotta be born of the spirit, man. You, you see the spirit, you see the wind and the trees and yeah, you see what it does, but you can't control it. You don't know where it comes from. And that's what the spirit of God is like. You can't control it. There's a level of just like, you can't figure out best smart goals. You know, the, the specific measurable uh whatever the other realistic time-bound, whatever the A is. Uh, I know there's business people just screaming at their their, their phones right now uh, what the answer is, but I don't care. It doesn't matter. The point is you can't use smart goals. You can't use business practices in some of these things. There's a level of, like, you can, if you lower the bar of, like, well, just tell me what to do. Tell me this or that, left or right, you know? Tell me what to do every time, and you can lower the bar and have success in spiritual formation, but it's not actual success. It's not actually looking like Jesus. You, people, churches do this all the time, where churches start to look a little bit more like businesses than churches. And they they take the Great Commission and they make it just getting people through the door to hear the gospel, which is a good thing. That's a great thing. But I call those now, I call those gospel initiation churches. It's like, let's just initiate gospel conversations. And that's a good thing. But if it doesn't go to the actual Great Commission, which if you know the Great Commission in Matthew, it's, you know, therefore go and create disciples teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Of every tongue, tribe, and nation, you're, you're not making converts. You're not getting people to hear the gospel. Yes, that's, it starts with that, but you're teaching them to be disciples, to move and be shaped in their lives and teaching them to obey all that, that I've commanded you. It's not just hearing the gospel. That's a great place to start. But if you just initiate there, yeah, you can check off all the boxes. So we had this many people hear the gospel through our church and we were fulfilling the Great Commission. Everybody has heard it in their ears. But the Great Commission is, is making disciples who obey everything that Jesus has taught. And so you can't control the Spirit. And that freaks us out. I get it. You're like, you're like just tell me what to do and tell me what to do. And if I'm not doing it, tell me what the goal is. And, and when it comes to the Spirit, there's a level of like, you just got to learn to dance. You just can't just... I can't just put the, the, the footprints on the floor and you learn all the technical places to put your feet and actually grow in the spirit. You have, yes, you start there, but then eventually you have to learn to dance. I was talking um, with uh, another guy who's in ministry who I really admire and respect, and, and he, he was discouraged, and he was just like, man, I don't know what to do with some of the things that are in my ministry right now, and should I move on from it, or should I you know, be faithful and remain? Or, you know, and he was just like really wrestling, 
And I was like, you know what? Like, what I know about you is that you're someone who always has your feet churning towards the kingdom. And so I don't know whether you stay or whether you go. I don't know if you change everything you're doing or keep everything the same. But I know with a person like you who is attempting to abide in Christ, you're just going to keep producing fruit regardless. Of, and yes, the, and the Spirit's going to guide you in what's wise. And you, it might not right away. And there might be a circuitous route in which you go backwards and sideways and upside down a little bit before you move directly forward and up and to the right. But you are someone who I see abiding in the Spirit. You're putting in the compound interest of, of habit formation, of spiritual formation, and you're working at the root of your soul. And so I just, you're going to keep your legs churning towards the kingdom. And I just, you're not going to get to the end of your life and look back and be like, oh, I completely wasted and ruined my life. Like, you're going to produce fruit. And it's going to be, yes, not the kind of fruit that you can measure with smart goals. It's going to be the kind of immeasurable fruit that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3. Again, in that prayer when he says, like, you know, I pray that you would know the love of Christ and, and, and that you would know the height and depth and the width and the breadth. And then in that, that would form you and transform you in that. And then he ends the prayer by saying, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, far immeasurably more than all that we ask or think. Yeah, I can lower the bar and I can get over that bar with measurable goals. And those aren't bad. But there's a level of walking the spirit of just learning to dance, learning to be in the rhythm of the spirit learning to be in the flow of it, learning to just abide and to do the little things and fill in the compound interest and to pursue the root of your heart and to pursue actually learning what it is to be loved by God and loved by others and be filled with the Spirit and so that it enters into my mind and my heart and integrates in my, my soul and my spirit and then goes and exits out through my will and doesn't just go from my mind to my will. And then when that happens, then what comes out of me and what comes out of the church and what comes out of this world is immeasurably more than all that we could ask or think.